My name is Christina Crook, and I am the author of The Joy of Missing Out. I want to welcome you to the JomoCast, a podcast for founders and creators seeking joy in a digital age. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things. Things like toxic hustle, comparison, and digital drain to make space for life-giving commitments that bring us peace, meaning, and joy. Hello, Christina here. I'm trying something new. I'm going to be sharing some of my favorite, juiciest episodes of the JomoCast from the last three years. And I'm kicking it off with one of my favorite all-time episodes, The Joy of Missing Out on Loneliness with Salima Ibrahim, who coincidentally, I am actually getting together with in person tonight to do letter writing. We have started a little monthly letter writing get together. The two of us hope to be expanding and making that public in the very near future. But what I love about Salima is her career has had such an incredible arc from being a young environmental stewardship advocate to launching tech startups to being a journalist in war zones She is such a brave and courageous human being. And what drives her is love. What drives her is connection. What drives her is a desire for people to know and understand one another better. So I hope you enjoy this first of a series of reruns from the JomoCast, my top favorite episodes of all time. Give it a listen. I am still riding an absolute high from the podcast launch party we hosted here in Toronto, uh, co-hosted with Artery. And today we're going to be hearing from the co-founder of Artery. Artery is a startup that you can kind of describe as Airbnb meets Eventbrite. People list their spaces and it could be a living room or a back patio or a loft or any kind of space and matches people, the hosts, with performers to create these intimate showcases, these intimate shows in people's homes and unusual spaces. And their tagline is, every space is a stage. And they were the perfect partner for the JomoCast launch party uh, to celebrate things joyfully. We had an incredible experimental cello duo called VC2 Play. And Everyone that was in the room that evening, that room was bursting with people, described what a joyful experience it was. And it was truly a joyful experience for me. It's incredible what Salima and her co-founder Vladik have created in Artery. It is a very unusual tech startup in the sense that their goal with their company is to reduce loneliness and increase greater offline connection, people gathering in real time and space. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with me and Salima about reducing loneliness and increasing joy in a digital age. 
Can you properly tell me how to say your last name? I say it Ibrahim. Is it Ibrahim? So I say Salima Ibrahim. Ibrahim. Uh, Ibrahim. It's interesting about my last name. Uh, it's spelled E-B-R-A-H-I-M. Um, and it's really helped me navigate borders in, in, in an interesting way just for that reason. Um you know, a you know Abraham with an A or Ibrahim with an A is is traditionally Jewish, and I is Muslim, uh, and so I literally would walk through borders in like going into you know uh, Jerusalem or or Israel from Palestine and just say you know they say what is this and I'd say E it's neutral and they would say okay and they would let me in so it's it's a yeah it's a question I feel really calm about because I'm like I'm gonna get through the border when you ask me that so that's amazing so. Uh, on certain days, it, uh, it'll it be what it needs to be. <laughs> so, Salima, as you know, I have been on this quest to amplify the conversation around how to live well with technology. And you are in such an interesting space because you are the co-founder of a startup. You are a co-founder of a tech company um, by way of journalism, by way of community building and activism. So you're a really unique person in this space. And I think the conversation I'm hoping to have with you today is about um, why building trust in communities is important to you and sort of but to begin, really, where the artery story began for you personally? Um, great, it's wonderful to be here, Christina. Um, you know, I've, it's since the first day we met um, that has resonated with me. Sort of your mission around this, and certainly as we have been building artery, and we'll get into that later, um, that the importance of that has become clearer and clearer. Um, for me. Um, Artery artery began um, several years ago when I was in uh, grad school. Um, I um, I'm a journalist. Um, I worked as a journalist mostly in the Middle East and Africa. Also covered a lot of U.S. presidential politics. Um, and I met my co-founder in grad school, and he was a journalist. And we talked a lot about our experiences, as you would do. And uh, we shared our experiences, his mostly mostly as a journalist in Russia and the South Caucasus, mine uh, in the Middle East, as I mentioned. Um, and we also talked about how hard writing about culture and, 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 and another culture can be. Um, writing about culture isn't just writing about, you know, the musician or the artist. Culture is about the room we're in. Um, how people enter, where they sit, how they grow, you know, greet their friends, how they joke uh, with their neighbor. Um, and often, I think through both of our careers, you know, we realize that seeing the small stuff up close is the only way to understand the really big stuff. And it was out of that conversation of creating a platform that would connect people to the local culture and communities of a place um, that the idea of of artery was born. Um, I think for me, it had that conversation that I ended up having with my co-founder Vladik um, in we started in 2012. Um, really began for me. Uh, I think I, I found myself at grad school. I found myself having this year of a bit of a crisis with my career um, that had arisen from feeling disconnection. Um, with with uh, the, this basic idea of just feeling like we are all increasingly disconnected, um, even though we have all this information and all this connectivity connecting us. And where that personally struck for me was, you know, I had moved to the Middle East when I was, you know, right after university. I was 21 years old, got a bag, landed in Cairo, 
And my whole intention, especially that was right around the Iraq war, just after 9-11, there was so much misunderstanding and even this perceived clash of civilizations. Um, and it just seemed to me like a caricature of, of two sides. Um, and my whole mission uh, was, and I think many journalists and writers share this, was to travel and to write about the other so that you could see the other. Um, and that was really, really critical. And after about a decade of of trying to do that, when you're over there and you're over in Damascus, or you're over in Cairo, or you're over in Amman, um, you you know that you're putting out a volume of information together with other journalists, and you hope that people are reading, um, and you hope that 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 other is being seen. You don't need to like the individual I'm writing about in Jordan, but it's important that you see them, and vice versa. And I think when I um, when I came, sort of came back and was full-time sort of back in, in New York at that point, um, I realized that that threshold wasn't being met. And that in this sort of decade between 9-11 and sort of 2011 it was then, um, I, I thought we, we don't really know more about who a Syrian is, who an Iraqi is, um, what they care about, what they eat, what their culture is. And it sort of hit me that all if we don't, if if we can't see someone for who they are and see them as ourselves and have that type of empathy, then no amount of information about the threats they're under or the insecurity in their region will move us to act. And the cycle continues. And so I had a real crisis um, around around 20, you know, growing into 2011, um, where, yeah, I felt here I was a young journalist. And because I had bylines from what people in Washington or Toronto would consider exotic places, my stock was rising. And yet I felt a decade on that um, we weren't moving that forward. And um, and so that's that's when some of the conversations began when I when I stopped um, to think about what actually connects us. Was there a sense at any point that you were sort of shouting into the ether that the Internet had sort of created a space where there was too much information? And like you were saying, you were you're, you were hoping that people were reading what you were putting out into the world. But you know, it, it's so amplified. And so I think what I hear you saying is that you were really reflecting on the power of a single story. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because the the media landscape, even, even from when I was sort of beginning as a journalist in, in foreign correspondency in sort of 03 or 04, you know, this is like uh, pre-mobile, right? Um, the internet um, was still a hybrid part of our lives, right? And and, and not 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 the sort of half of ourselves that it feels like it is today. And um, there still was, you know, a few papers everyone read, uh, a few uh, cable news stations. And while that had, you know, that that could be problematic also in in other ways um, because there was only a certain number of voices that were telling the story. We all seem to have a, a similar set of facts. And because there was, you know, you'd read the paper, you listen to six o'clock news, you'd get a digest uh, of a bit of everything. And and I think what happened was, you know, in the last decade, the last 15 years, there's actually been um, almost a renaissance of information. Like we, we have more quality documentaries, you know, long form books than we ever blogs, uh, you know, informative tweets. And I say that <laughs> at a time when, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of uninformative tweets um, out there, but um, a lot of great content. And so the problem was never content. But um, yeah, I think I think two things. I think the the balkanization of the media um, I think the fact that there was noise, I think the fact that people were now going and, and you know, you could you could literally go through and try to figure out what you wanted to know in the news and be ignorant to everything else. 
all of these things were really overwhelming. And, you know, again, I think there's something even deeper than just content is that you need to spend time with your neighbor. Um, You need to spend time in your community, need to spend time with people uh, to, to have that type of curiosity, that kind of trust um, muscle. And, um, and I would also add to that, just that we need those relationships to make meaning, to make sense of the information that we're receiving. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I don't jump the gun on this, but that's, that's something really that, um, has sort of catalyzed and really energized, um, the work around artery, especially in the last year, even more so as, as we started piloting, um, you know, so bring us back to 2011 and that sort of crisis point. Like, where did this all begin for you? I mean, you've already taken us through part sure. of the story, but then so um, you're in grad school. You're with yeah, Vlad, yeah, yeah, Vlad, and and a bunch of other sort of um, you know journalists that had been in the field. You know, ranging ranging ages from sort of late 20s to kind of mid 40s. Uh, so really interesting. Experience. Yeah, and set the scene. You're at what school? You're studying what? So just kind of paint a picture. I'm in New for York. Um, I'm at uh, Columbia University, and you know, I had um, just a you know before journalism, I had um, been involved in building an environmental movement, an environmental nonprofit, sort of from my teens um, that overlapped with my journalism career, but it was over a decade, kind of in, into my twenties, as most teens do. Well, you know, <laughs> this is the thing. Uh, it started out as a letter writing campaign, right? That we thought was going to last a few months. Uh, and we were sort of around the Kids for Saving Earth Club and trying to write letters in our backyard. And, and all of a sudden, one step led to another. And uh, we certainly did not expect that we would start with, we started in my colleague Simon's basement over burgers and chocolate cake. Trying Simon. To, Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to save the, you know, trying to think about how we would write a letter or create a letter writing campaign to save BC's spirit bear. And if you had told us then when we were teens that it would turn over a decade into like a 6 million member network in 64 countries and we saved the spirit bear. Um, I, I went to, hey, that was, <laughs> yes. Oh, it, it's. And My so, daughter just joined the Earth Rangers. She did. Today on the internet. Today? So, uh, yeah, she just, she's found out about the Earth Rangers and you can sign up and sort of create, you know, uh, sign on to this commitment to learn more about nature and to support our environment and all these things. So I can't wait to tell her about you and the oh, Spirit Bear. that's, I mean, yeah, it was literally Starts signing something up. small, right? I think I think Safeway, which was, uh, you know, uh, obviously a grocery chain that was really big in BC. Um, they had a Kids for Saving Earth Club that I first heard about when I was 11 years old and joined that and we did we cleaned up some parks. Exactly that. That's that's what it looks like. Um, and, and that's what it even looks like through all of the, even as it scales, it's about those uh, individual actions and finding a place to start. So I'll say with, with, with ending this, you know, being and having had an, uh, a background as an activist, and then knowing that I always wanted to see the world through a writer's lens, through a journalist's lens, when I hit this sort of crisis point in 2011, I thought, you know, um, obviously there's a medium and longer term view towards writing um, and it's critical. And I have so many colleagues um, who have spent, uh, you know, decades and huge sacrifices telling the story. And so um, I was never conflicted about the role of journalism, but I thought, you know, I have a I have a few other skills, too. Um, maybe I go work at the U.N., maybe I go work at the IRC. Like it, it's it, to me, it seemed very critical um, and very just devastating, actually, that I was here with seeing my stock rising as a journalist, and I was writing about people who I thought seemed less and less understood. Mm. So for me, it be, Artery began 
at a very macro level um, in a lot of ways. Uh, and so when Vladek and I started talking at, at the, you know, we were both actually in a science journalism program at, at the Columbia Journalism School. He was working um, very unlikely beginnings to artery, uh, one would think. Yes. He was working on a big exploration and a big narrative uh, science uh, piece on uh, whether fish feel pain and looking at cognitive animal under, you know, behavior and understanding. And I was actually thinking at that point, well, you know, I've got this environmental background and I've uh, covered a lot of conflict. And so I was looking at the nexus of an environmental security, looking at environmental war and peace. And I thought I was coming to Columbia to, to have a bit of an exhale after being in the field and to work on the beginnings of a book around environmental security. And whether that led me in a journalism path or, or an activism path um, was was totally open to that. Um, but it was it was in that year when... Uh, I didn't have any agenda or intention that I was surrounded by a lot of um, friends and colleagues uh, who happened to all be in New York at that time. And I love to cook and we had a lot of meals at my home. And I just started talking about, um, you know, we started talking about our lives in these in these places that we had lived in. And I started talking about uh, the the modern jazz scene in Cairo, in Egypt, uh, the hip hop scene in Beirut. Um, you know, Amman's poetry scene. And that's really where uh, I, I realized that, wow, in those moments, like really smart, well-traveled people and some who hadn't traveled that much, um, but who, who sort of had a sense of the world, I could see were even surprised by that. Hmm. And um, it was amazing because I thought in that moment about talking about modern jazz in Cairo, uh, more, you know, more uh, sort of ended up happening around that feeling of, you know, wanting, uh, of seeing the other than almost in anything I'd ever written. I felt that. And it was this huge kind of like over the head, of course, culture is, is always the powerful lens through which we see each other. I don't need to know about a region or a context or history, but if I connect with a piece of music or a play or an idea, I'm connected to you. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, that's how, that's how, those two things coming together led us to, um, yeah, quit our jobs and build artery. Incredible. Yeah. That is such an incredible story. So um, I remember probably almost a year ago now having a conversation with you where we were talking about technology and we can talk often about the ways that it disconnects us, connects us, the ways that it isolates us. But you and I had this incredible conversation about the ways in which the internet has you know, sort of unexpectedly created these trusting communities. You know, even five years ago, it would have been um, maybe terrifying even to get into the back of a stranger's car. It would have been strange to go and stay in a stranger's home. And yet through things like Airbnb and Lyft and Uber, this has become commonplace. And it's actually started to sort of weave these new webs of trust within communities. And I think that that is a huge value to what the internet has done for us. And I and I know that you're sort of wanting to build on that you are already in so many different countries and communities through Artery. Can you kind of take us into that story? Yeah, I think it's it's such a, you know, I think sometimes, you know, when you're, we're in a process of such transformative change. And I, I think we look often to uh, what's happening technologically around us. We looked at specifically the technology. I think 
what's really interests me is these sort of normative shifts that are happening, which is which is what you're talking about. Um, and you know, I think right now because we're in the early days of take the sharing economy, um, you know, there are there are you know imperfect expressions of that, and there are, there are challenges you know for any of these companies. And whether you like Airbnb or Lyft or Uber as companies, that to me is separate from the story because the the shift that they're engendering around exactly that. Um, five, six, seven years ago, the idea of getting into a stranger's car or staying in a stranger's home um, was not only not there, but it was it was crazy. And today it's um, in some ways aspirational. And that shift is more powerful than any one company. Um, and each, uh, you know, sort of each sort of um, uh, year that goes by with these new types of opportunities to trust each other in different ways, I think al- allows for so much more. And and I, and I really look at, um, you know, something like artery uh, could not exist um, without uh, the cultures of Kickstarter or Airbnb or Lyft or any of those. Um, and I, and this is where I think it's really interesting is that what, this is the moment we're in where understanding that um, what is the responsibility of the architects of the sharing economy um, and of these trusting communities? Um, but then also really to ask our, ourselves a really interesting question, um, aside from, you know, booking a car or staying in accommodation, what else does this allow for? Mm. What else does this trust allow for? Um, and that's where I get really, really excited. Um, and if if you'll actually just let me connect it back to what yeah. we were just saying before, you know, when we began Artery, um, which is essentially a platform that, 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 that lets anyone open up their living room, their backyard, their rooftop to um, an intimate cultural experience that anyone can attend. That's the basic idea. I got really excited about, um, you know, Artery Beirut existing in the same community as Artery Toronto and Artery Baghdad in New York for all the reasons we just discussed. What has been amazing to me this last year piloting artery this last year and a half and specifically in Toronto has been um within a city you know take Dufferin Grove or you're in the junction or you're in Scarborough Scarborough doesn't necessarily know Scarborough you know we we know our neighbors on our street likely um but these days we don't know the people on the street one street over or two streets over and I think that there has been a, um, at the same time, we've had the rise of these online sort of online to offline trusting communities. We've had a lot of the existing communities um, that we've relied on, uh, places of worship, libraries, community centers, um, not become less, less relevant in our lives because the library, I, you know, I will fight for that till the end. Um, that's a really important place, but they have, they have, um, other things have overtaken, uh, those. And so that social infrastructure we've relied on for generations is becoming less and less central to us just going through the process of our daily lives. Right. Um, and I think what has been really interesting for us has been learning that in trying to understand, I'm now seeing people walk into into their neighbors' homes, into their neighbor, homes in their neighborhood that they never would have walked into because of artery. And what I'm realizing is that's like a awakening, a muscle that is not gone, but has atrophied greatly because mm-hmm. we haven't had to use it as much in the last decade around curiosity and trust in our neighbors. And, you know, I realize that if you want someone to sort of bringing it full circle for me, if you, you know, we're busy 
there's a lot of information in the world. Thinking about what to care about is overwhelming. But um, the only way you can really inspire someone to care or and think deeply or be curious about what's going on in Damascus with someone else is if that muscle is alive and uh, working and being exercised here. So I actually see, you know, people going into strangers' homes, these trusting communities, certainly through what we do with Artery, as, as sort of allowing us to build that muscle and that curiosity and trust and what I'm excited for is that what does that then allow for when you're confronted with people not just two streets away or, you know, in another city mm-hmm. or or another country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really see that connection now. Um, so it's seeing it less being a content thing than actually the way we understand the world is the way we uh, live our lives locally. Do you have internet fatigue? Are you bored of doom scrolling? Do you wish to live life outside of an online algorithm? Do you wish for better conversations? Do you want to get your creativity back? Then my new course, The Jomo Method, is for you. This program aims to be a helping hand to anyone wanting to take a step back and consciously change up their online habits. A year ago, I first opened the doors to a small group of students and have since helped designers, marketers, educators, and executives around the world. People working at Shopify and Adobe, people in Australia and Portugal, Brazil, and the USA. I've helped them take back control of their digital lives to do their best work and live with more joy. Do you like the sound of that? The Jomo Method is built right out of the insights I've gained over the past 10 years studying the intersection of technology and joy. The truth is, people who are happy with technology use it differently. And I want to show you how. Learn more by joining today at christinacrook.com forward slash waitlist. That's Christina Crook dot com forward slash waitlist. I can't wait to see you there. I think there's something so powerful, and I know you know this because of exactly what you're creating in entering someone else's personal space. Yes. I I went into a friend's living room the other day just for a few minutes because I was picking my kid up and just being in her living room. I actually said just it out standing loud. standing in the front. Just stand, no, like just standing yeah, inside her exactly. space. Yeah. I remember comment. I just commented to her, you know, I need to spend more time in people's homes. I've gotten into a habit of meeting people, you know, for coffee at a public space. But when you walk into someone's room, and I did this when I came to your first artery showcase that I ever attended, um, the first thing that I do is I look at people's books, yeah. right? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you look at the books and it tells you a story. I'm looking over at I, the bookshelves I, I, in this I'm exact in a room. room. With your books right now, Christina. Tells I know, right? You can see all of my husband's yeah. science fiction. Um, I've embraced it slowly over time. Yeah, I think um, one of the assumptions that I realize I'm trying to confront with this joy of missing out conversation is three assumptions. The first is that more is better, that faster is better. And what is the last one? More is better, faster is better, and new is better. You know, new, faster, better. And those are these primary promises a lot of the time from advertising, from 
the technology space in particular, you know, we're constantly trying to move faster. We think about companies like Amazon, like how how much quicker can we get this product to your door? Um, you know, all of these things. But when I think about what is necessary to build really meaningful relationships, I think in the opposite direction, I think less is better, slower is better. And I think what you're creating with Artery it's an invitation for people to slow and to build sort of this very intimate web in their local community. I love what you said about, you know, Scarborough doesn't know Scarborough, you know, Toronto doesn't know Toronto. I think it's true that some of us knows, know our neighbors, you know, living in a community uh, as tightly packed as I do. We, you know, are almost forced to connect with our neighbor because they're literally standing right there. But if you go into more suburban communities, you know, people are far more sp- spaced out. People live in towers. Even though they want to know their neighbors, it's very difficult because people are on different schedules. And so, um, yeah, I would love for you to just explain to us what happens when someone goes to Artery, to the website, and like what, and walk us through that process. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, to all of those things, um, I think that's, you know, what, what you said, that last point that, you know, was that new is not always better. Um Artery is based on a really, really old idea, right? The idea of culture in private spaces, of community in private spaces, um, is is as old as culture itself, right? Um, Beethoven uh, would recognize an artery showcase more than he would some of these um, mm. venue uh, events. Um, chamber music came out of bedrooms. You think about Harlem rent parties, right, in the 1920s, and you think about Parisian salons. This impulse to connect in intimate ways, um, just where we live, is uh, is a very human impulse. And so I always say that what we're doing with Artery is not anything new. You know, this this has existed and this does exist in every city and town in the world today in some way. So I just wanted to be really clear about that. And so, you know, when when people say, oh, this is a bit of a revolution in how people are going to connect and I'll, I'll get into the process of it. I always come back and say it's very much a counter revolution. Um, and that that gets me really excited um, because we're using technology, an online tool to allow people to connect to something uh, that humans have always done um, and to connect to people offline because the majority of the artery experience doesn't happen online. It all happens offline. Um, so with artery, uh, there's sort of three groups. Um, you can come into artery as a performer, uh, someone who wants to showcase or exhibit something. And it could be anyone from an author to a comedian, to a poet, to a singer. Uh, we've had a scientist recently, uh, talking about ideas like black holes and, uh, and Fine. astrophysics, uh, in living rooms. Very cool. And then there are hosts on artery and hosts are anyone with a space. Um, could be your living room, my backyard, a rooftop. We've had Slima's bathroom. Oh, we've we have had an opera in my bathroom. Um, that'll be another podcast, or we can go <laughs> into that later. Um, so we've had yeah everything the size of you know dorm rooms to castles on Artery, and and uh, really the space, uh, the experience fits into the space. Um, and then there's the audience, um, and that is you know all of us. I hope all of you listening to begin with who can go onto Artery and discover the showcases that come out of um, performers and hosts connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Artery showcases are above and, you know, above all intimate. They're intimate experiences. These aren't 150, 100 person, 200 person shows. Um, they're usually, you know, 15 to kind of 
40 people, usually about 20, 25 people is a great number for an artery because living rooms, you know, most of us don't have living rooms that can fit 60 people in there. Like, you know, um, and so, uh, they, um, yeah, so that, that's the basic idea. And so you can go into artery and, um, you can grab a spot to a showcase. There are public and private showcases. And for the public showcases, you can RSVP limited spots. And when you RSVP, you will, uh, get the address on RSVP. No addresses are public and get, yeah, a sort of a note from the host saying, this is my address and anything particular to their um, location. And this is what people find really astounding, um, is that, like all of a sudden you get this address and now you knock on someone's door and they invite you in. And it's, it's, I think we feel that when we visit friends we haven't seen in a long time, like you said, like it's, it's amazing to be in their home because it feels there's a generosity, there's an intimacy that you have with that person. And when you do it with a stranger, now you bring in trust. Um, Mm. And so actually, if you have a little bit of anxiety, if you've never walked into a stranger's home through one of these showcases and you're listening, thinking about your first artery, that anxiety you might have about, wait, I'm going into a stranger's home, that actually is is what eventually creates the magic because um, you have to sort of lean in halfway and the the host Mm. and the audience lean halfway. So all these showcases feel very different than events because they're a co-creation. If I'm opening up my doors with trust and generosity and you are showing up in my home with that same type of trust and generosity and an artist or a speaker is coming in and from two feet away sharing their gift, mm. that is all a co-creation. Um, and so you you remove one element out of that and you don't have the showcase. Right. And I think that's, um, I think in, in specifically culture, especially over the last many decades, we've got into this consumer producer model that culture is produced over here and you're invited to consume it across an orchestra pit or a stage. And it it can be quite costly and it's largely centralized in downtown communities. Um, and so where, where I get really excited with Artery is that no, it's culture is where you live. Culture is on your street. And I don't just say that based on the fact that we want to bring it there. I actually believe so much of the creative life of our cities is invisible because it's happening in our neighborhoods and it's happening in our uh, communities outside even the downtown core. Um, but there's just been no way to easily surface that and discover that and even offer you know your home for that. Um, and so that's that's what I get really excited. And so, yeah, you know, when people enter people's homes – I think what happens is that you you genuinely leave with connection, um, and you um, there's a there's a there's a gratefulness there that I find, uh, or a gratitude that is part of the process that is not typically part of the way we consume culture now, and it has let us you know let us be less creative, less experimental. Um, yeah, and you know you made a really you brought up a really good point about how difficult it is, um, and I think. People want to connect in these ways with each other, but you know, after you graduate university or you're in a job or you've got kids or your um, your kids have you know moved out and you're an empty nester, um, how how do you connect and have these social bonds and discover this stuff is actually really challenging. And I think one of the really interesting things when someone when you enter someone's home. You're not just entering a home for performance. You are stepping into their life for that moment. And even when you were with your friend, you know, you can know me, but when you're in my home, uh, you you can have a sense of, of of my life and my values and what I care about. Um, and I think increasingly with 
technology, especially to sort of bring it back to this idea that we're we're more connected than we've ever been online. Um, but we're increasingly isolated from each other in real life to to dangerous degrees. I mean, the loneliness is an epidemic. And getting out of our cultural bubbles, both both addressing loneliness and social isolation, which is a huge problem. The UK, you know, alone has just, you know, introduced a minister of loneliness. Yeah. And there are studies that loneliness will um will be a higher threat to public health than obesity or um uh, heart disease uh, over the coming years. Um, that that is certainly something um, that I think we have to really sit back and think as a society. On the other side of that, the one of the consequences we can see of being on these social networks is the algorithms and is how they are pushing us further into our own cultural bubbles. Yeah, and so you can be on the internet all day and never be around any community that thinks differently than you or that has different experiences than you or has different demographic or racial or, or, or socioeconomic backgrounds than you. And the consequences of us, I think, not being able to break out of that cultural bubble are um, a rise in, we see it all around us. Mm -hmm. I think we see it in our politics being calcified. Um, and so it's really, really critical. And so for me, thinking about ways, um, and whether you come at this as a writer, as an educator, as someone building what we're like, what we're building an artery, trying to figure out ways where people have the opportunity to be in a room with people they would not necessarily always be in a room with. Because I can argue with you on Facebook, and I can, we can yell at each other. But if we're sitting in real life, and we're sharing an experience together, and then we disagree. I mean, I begin with the principle that you're human, and right. and 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 um and I remember that. So then I'm then I'm I'm showing up to that conversation in a totally different way. I'm not being anonymized. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you can't replace the physical connection and understanding. I know this is something like this is your life's work <laughs> as well. I'm just sitting here nodding and just making big doughy eyes at Salima, like just yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, the empathy, right? I mean, it comes back to that always about what it means to be human and the fact that from infancy, we're seeking out the eyes of other human beings to, right? It's like mirroring and and building out what it means to be human in the ways that we relate to one another. So when we remove that intimacy when we remove that connection it allows for a lot of ugliness and we yes. see it online yes. and so you know it's kind of the the great meme of um celebrities reading mean tweets right yeah. is would you say this to my face the truth is 99.9 percent .9 of people would never do that and so i love how you're bringing your journalistic conflict zone background into this discussion because um in canada i think at least in my environment, you know, we're quite peaceful, but I know that in America, obviously, this is a huge discussion in terms of the polarization between people. And I think, yes, obviously, as a Canadian, I'm proud of of so much of what happens is in, in, in our country around dialogue, around understanding. But there's a lot of misunderstanding here. And the fact of the matter is, is that even in my daily life in, you know, for example, in, you know, when I'm in Toronto, yeah, I'm still in my cultural bubble. And, you know, how often am I, you know, being based on the West End of Toronto, how often am I in Scarborough or Mississauga in someone's home? Uh, maybe, you know, and 
they're con. I mean, we, we see that I think in our own politics mm-hmm. here in our in our mayoral politics, right? right? Um, between the city and the suburbs. So I think um, all of those things are are happening at every level. My immediate thought is. It already feels like a risk for me to go into a stranger's house within my own neighborhood. What would I be willing to like? Would I be willing to risk going to somewhere so far outside of my own experience, like Scarborough, for example? Not to harsh on Scarborough. We love you, Scarby. But <laughs> oh my god, I love, <laughs> love Scarborough. I love Scarborough. I love Scarborough. I know I so many good people. My from way there. through Scarborough, but. Um, that ask of almost of, of ourselves to not just get out of our comfort zone and say no to watching Netflix for yet another night, but going into our local community, but then taking it a step further into would we go, you know, in Toronto, the you know, the joke of like the East versus West, right? Like, totally. would I be willing to go all the way to the East End um, to experiencing to experience something completely different. I think this is also where we can lean into our current friendships and relationships. You know, I can imagine going to my first artery showcase and bringing a friend, right? Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing, right? There's not, there's not nothing wrong, wrong about bringing like a little, you know, comfort blanket, a little people bring their communities. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, um, and marriages like people are, hooking up like people like relationships are starting through artery and i shouldn't say hook up relationships yeah of all are, kinds people are finding friendships people are there are people dating on artery um some long-term relationships have emerged we're waiting for the first artery um, wedding wedding or whatever type of uh, right partnership celebration. celebration they want um and yeah and i, I again i think it's it's not a good ingredient it's like we again if if there's around a shared experience if you're able to spend some time with an intimate group of people. Um, but I, I do think it's really difficult. Like even if we were to, you know, you come home on Thursday night and you're tired and, um, you know, it's cold and yes, you want to connect with, you know, the other outer boroughs and you want to connect with everybody, neighborhoods. Um, but how do you do that? And I think that puts a lot of pressure on all of us to kind of be sort of these like, you know, superheroes. Super <laughs> and that's asking a lot too. Yeah. Like, and I, and I kind of realized that with my journalism, like asking someone to like understand all about the world or asking them to know about an issue or the consequences of the war in Iraq, like everyone is dealing with a lot in their own lives. So yeah, the way I look at it is if you can offer someone, you know, a small shared experience that lasts mm. 60 to 90 minutes that may even be in their own neighborhood, um, that's a place to start. Um, and I guess, you know, I'm also, you know, of the belief that, you know, what has come before us allows for now to exist. And I'm really excited about Beyond Artery. Um, if, you know, a thousand people in one neighborhood end up over that year in each other's homes in any sort of arrangement, what else does that allow for mm-hmm. in terms of that community and organizing and civic engagement? So, you know, I, um, I remember uh, talking to w- when uh, we were building the, the Spirit Bear Youth Coalition and the environmental movement, and we were very lucky enough to um, have uh, Dr. Jane Goodall as a mentor. And I remember, you know, years in, because you begin something and then you're in the middle um, and it's very hard and up and down sort of look the same. And I remember asking her, like, you know, it seems so large, like it seems so overwhelming, the challenges that exist in the world. Um, what is your advice? And her advice was really simple and clear and came in a minute. And uh, she says, just find your peace in it. Start somewhere. 
down your street. Earth Rangers, great place to start. Find your peace in it. And I think we can get, and I can get, believe me, I can get paralyzed as well. Um, and I, and I think that's, that's, I love your, your expression of it as an invitation. I just think we just need more invitations like Jomo, like Artery, um, out there. Amazing. Um, I asked Salima to bring the artery bell and I want her to play it for us now. (laughs) So can you explain to us what this is and how it is, how it, how it functions within your community? Yeah. So, um, you know, people are gathering in homes and some people have hosted are used to hosting people and some aren't. And we realize that first moment where you, people are in your home and then you want to begin the performance or the lecture or the show, um, can be sort of awkward for people. And uh, we thought a lovely way for a host to sort of bring people's attention was through a bell. And it started as that, and the community loves it. And um, and uh, so it's now um, it's now become part of the beginnings of an artery. So I will play this bell with the caveat that those who aren't musicians build platforms for those who can build musicians, <laughs> for, for, for musicians. So uh, this is the artery bell. and um you know what's what's interesting what's what's really exciting to see is that even amongst you know we have we began in sort of piloting in toronto community started also growing in new york those are our two pilot cities but artery communities have been growing in 12 other cities from Reykjavik to small community in Spain to Washington to Vancouver to Montreal to Ottawa. We've had invite requests from 35 countries. And what's neat is that when you come together with similar values around intimacy, around sharing experience, um, you can actually introduce some shared traditions amongst a community that lives around the world. So I sort of see this as uh, a shared tradition. Um, and it's kind of fun just to Hammer on a bell, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> right? And the one I went to at your place, uh, the, the youngest audience member who may have been about five or six. I think had he was like four. Four. <laughs> he had this bell and he, you should have just seen the look on this kid's face, just the, he, just the power <laughs> that he held in his hand. <laughs> and just that small little person was able to gather an entire apartment full of people. Yeah. His, his name was Van and um, he's actually approached me about um, co-hosting his first artery. So he'll be the youngest co-host of an artery. He came to the performance that you came to. My living room was Julie Nasrallah of CBC was doing an opera in my living room to about 30 people. And uh, Van attended half of that, which is pretty good yeah. for a four-year-old. He had a and, lot of oranges. Yep. And uh, since um, his mom has sort of put him in touch and uh, via voice notes on uh, texting, and he's um, he's going to be hosting a showcase for his community and i'm happy to help him and he'll have a bell i love it so every host gets a bell uh when they when they join artery and they do their first artery that's incredible i have two questions for you please the first is jomo to you means missing out on what jomo means missing out on jomo means removing fomo yeah (laughs) to me like that's the first thing that comes in is that you know, when you're so connected online and like a thousand things are happening on Instagram and Facebook and constantly you, it's just, Jomo means presence. Like to me, I'm I'm going to not fit it in, but like being joyful about where you are. And of course you're going to be missing out on something else, but that's, that's the nature of being present. Absolutely. 
you have to miss out on something to to embrace something else. And lastly, Salima, I want you to finish the sentence. I want to find more joy in the middle, the process. Um, I think there's this quote that I recently heard by Rosabeth uh, Moss Cantor, who was a professor at Harvard. And it's this quote that just sort of resonated with me. It said, in the middle, everything feels like failure. Um, and that can apply to so many aspects of our lives and certainly our work. And I think that's also where the joy is. You know, everyone loves the happy, you know, the exciting beginning. And we're all in love with a happy ending. But the middle is where we lean in to each other with trust. The middle is where when we we fall, um, the people who love us are there to hold us. The middle is the middle is the good stuff. It is the good stuff. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Christina. Always. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review it, or share it with a friend. You're the key to spreading JOMO. The internet is not what it used to be. You need a roadmap to thrive in the digital age. I've created a new free JOMO guide and it's available now at christinacrook.com. JOMO is the joy of missing out on the right things, but sometimes it's difficult to know what those right things are. I'll guide you through a simple four-step digital house cleaning process to clear away your digital clutter and make it easier to get at what really matters. That's the joy of missing out. Get your free Jomo guide today at christinacrook.com.